What's going on, Priscilla? Welcome to the show. Hey. I appreciate you being on here. Thank you for having me. Of course. You know, I, as I've continued to kind of create my guest list for people who I want to have conversations with on here, like you were always in the back of my mind and, you know, you and I, we've known each other through mastermind group and following each other on social media for the last year or two. Um, but I, the thing I resonate with you a lot and what I appreciate, appreciate about you and your content and just you as a person, I feel like we share a lot of similarities, similar backgrounds to a certain extent. Um, but a lot of the, the things that you communicate really well online is this idea of like, you know, doing the things that, you know, are hard in the face of adversity, um, and, and never like settling, but just always trying to progress, whatever that means to you. Right. Cause progression yeah. looks different to everybody. Um, you, okay. you do that really well in addition to a lot of other things, but I find that you're very empathetic. You've lived, you know, the things that you're talking about, you help your clients through similar things that you've gone through, you know, being a nurse and living through the last, you know, shit show of the th three years that we just recently had. Um, it, it's just, those messages don't come through as much. I, I see on my social media feed and in the, the content that I read and consume and the people that I follow. And I think you just do a really good job of that in general. So you were always a, a priority when it comes to, you know, getting you on the podcast and having this conversation. I'm excited to see where this, this goes today. Cause I, there's a lot of things as I sent you previously, you know, things we could dive into, but I just wanted to give you a shout out and tell the people why I wanted you on the podcast and why I think this is going to be a good combo. Thanks, Luke. That means a lot. Of course. For the people who don't know you, let <clears throat> just let them in on what's, you know, a little bit about your story, um, nursing, nutrition, coaching, anything that you want to share, anything that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, so my name is Priscilla Barnes. I um, live in Houston, Texas. I've been a nurse for about 12 years now. And then um, through working with a nutritional coach who ended up being our, it was Tony Stephan, right? Ended up being our IBM where you and I met. Um, he changed my life or helped me change my life so much so that I wanted to <clears throat> get certified in nutrition. I was also, I had just gone through a back injury and worked with a physical therapist who changed my life. And I was like, well, I'm not going back to school to be a PT right now. So I did the next best thing and uh, became a corrective exercise specialist with um, NASM. And so those two things combined kind of set the tone for, I, you know, I started doing things like kind of here and there part-time, and then I ended up creating Wellness in Bloom. And Wellness in Bloom is my um, company where I help people change their lives, take action today for a healthier tomorrow. And my real goal with one, becoming a nutritional coach, also with physical therapy, or I mean, personal training, is really understanding that it's these lifestyle changes that help people prevent being in the hospital, right, where I was taking care of them at the bedside. Um, I saw it change my own life and health. Um, and then things escalated with nursing, I was put in a situation where it was kind of like, do I do this now? Do I not? So I went part-time with nursing and full-time with uh, Wellness in Bloom. And it has been um, wonderful, a little bit more balanced ever since. And so all that to say, my main thing with Wellness in Bloom is really to help people um, understand, provide education and the tools that they need in order to take these changes with nutrition, movement, mentality, um, to not just improve their life today, but prevent these diseases that we see, not just random people, you know, a lot of us have seen like grandparents, parents, um, siblings even deal with some really life altering health issues as I have too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And a few things that I, I feel like I resonate with a lot. There is one, this, like, maybe not a dissatisfaction, but this this wanting for more when it comes to helping people in nursing, I think is one of the most you know extreme ways that people get into of like helping people and dedicating their lives to that. And it's very admirable and nurses are fucking awesome. Like they're the backbone of this country and we, we owe a lot of credit and praise to them, you know, what they've been able to do forever, but just even the last few years in general. Um, so kudos to you and being able to do that, but there's for some people, and I felt this way very similarly too, where it was like, I started out in the hospital and the people who, you know, follow me and listen to this podcast know a little bit about my story, but did hospital stuff 
got into dialysis, did that for a couple of years, but there was this, you know, this state that I got, got into where it's like, dang, am I, am I helping people manage these diseases and, and getting them to a point where, you know, they can live with a lot of these things that are, you know, adding a lot of limitations on their life. And it's a lot of yeah. unlearning these behaviors and trying to get them as healthy as they can, given their, you know, certain clinical status, whether mm -hmm. it's an acute setting, whether it's an outpatient setting, like there's, there was this battle that I was having where I was like, is this all that I can do, you know? And, and for me, like getting into the nutrition coaching space, taking people on the side when I was doing the full-time stuff, similar to you is like almost this calling where it's like, how can we prevent people from getting to this spot in the first place? Absolutely. You know, and it's, yeah. uh, it, and a, it's a very big picture thing, but like what small dent can I make on this earth? And, and that's what I also viewed. So I, I share that experience with you where it's like, Hey, can I, can I do other things in addition to what I'm doing with this? And eventually it led me to just doing this full time and stepping away from kind of the tertiary prevention, you know, treating chronic disease and helping people who right. have these disease states. So, you know, you being still a nurse, right. Still working part-time also doing full-time nutrition coaching and, and things like that you know, tell me about just the mindset and kind of the change in the way you talk and how you approach clients and how you approach patients and just how that's worked for you. And if you've noticed how, if there's any similarities between the two and the messages you're promoting and trying to get people to understand and do. So like how I approach people I end up working with, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So like, um, I think most people, if they're honest with themselves, have a real reason they're doing something that goes beyond looking good. And I think the looking good aspect is what sells, right? That's why people Google weight loss, Google, like go YouTube, like how to lose weight. And you'll see so many freaking things. But ironically, most people who I end up working with come to me because they want help with weight loss, right? But when you carve away at that, and when I end up talking to people during just like you, you know, like you end up working with people sometimes like a year, six months, maybe you find out that there's more to it than that. And sometimes we're just really scared to be completely honest with ourselves. And so a lot of times what I try to help people see is that they're not going to win if they just lose weight. Like <laughs> that's such a, that's such a broken cell. You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do when you actually lose those last 10 pounds? And who would care if you lost those last 10 pounds, if your blood pressure was out of control, who would care if you lost those last 10 pounds? If like your cholesterol was really screwed up, who would care if you lost those last two, 10 pounds, if you were mentally like anxious and depressed all the time, um, you wouldn't care, you know, and that's not to negate the beauty and like hard work and wonderfulness of hitting a goal weight, like all about it. I'm there. I've been there and it is, it's wonderful. It's a part of health in my opinion, but um, I try to approach people and get people to see that like this weight loss goal is also a process of helping you change your habits to prevent disease. I love it. And it's, it's very fascinating because I, maybe you share a similar experience with me. Um, but when it comes to nutrition coaching and people thinking about hiring a coach, sort of speak, right. It's a lot of times people have this like, you know, spark of motivation, um, to change their habits because what they have been doing wasn't really conducive to where they wanted to be. Right. Like a lot of the yeah. actions that they were doing, didn't get them to where they wanted to be. So they think hiring a coach and maybe losing weight or doing X, Y, Z, like that's the next step, you know? And, and when it comes to like putting in effort towards your nutrition or your fitness goals, like most people start to change their habits or they want to change their habits when it comes to like losing weight, right. Or when it comes mm -hmm. to losing fat or they get to a, a spot where they feel uncomfortable, they, they don't like the way they look or the way they feel. And then they all go in, all in on this idea of like, well, if I just lose weight, that's going to fix all of my problems. Right. And you know, at the end of the day, it's like when you put your energy into other things with your health and with your fitness, other than just the intent of trying to lose weight, ironically, that's weight loss is a byproduct of that. Sometimes, <laughs> you know? it's, it's, Spot breaking on. I wish more people knew that. Totally. And it's, it's just getting to the realization where it's like, you know, what effort am I putting into 
the lifestyle, the habits, the nutrition, the fitness stuff. How come I fitting that into my life right now? Um, not with the intent of only losing weight because, you know, you and I have the luxury of being able to see the other side, people getting Correct. to the end of their life or not even the end of their life, thirties, forties, fifties, dealing with a lot of these chronic illnesses, or some people maybe had a, a bad hand they were dealt. Some other people, maybe it was a reflection of some of the lack of attention they've given to their health along the way, you know, not shitting on those people, but it's just the reality that we see a lot of. So we're kind of desensitized to this idea of thinking, you know, weight loss and just looking better naked is the only thing that we should care about. And when right. you see both ends of the spectrum, which is, you know, being a nurse, you've seen a lot of things, right? You're kind of desensitized to this idea that, you know, the epitome of health is just being in a smaller body and looking different, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of think mm -hmm. big picture. And I think you do a really good job of delivering that information to people and, and helping them see, you know, how does these, how do these nutrients fit into heart health? How can we prevent disease? How right. can we you know, feel better, have more energy, you know, it's, it, it goes so much bigger than, you know, whether or not we're trying to actively lose weight, which is what Correct. a lot of times people come to nutrition coaches for, you know? Yes, absolutely. You got that right. So, yeah, I, I just think that that's just a, an observation that I've seen a lot of, and usually at the beginning and when I onboard a client, it's like, well, what are your goals? Like a lot of times it's, I want to, I want to lose weight or I want to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, okay, cool. Like we could do that, but let's think how that fits <laughs> into this big picture and, and start to approach our, our health and fitness with a different intent instead of just changing the way we look strictly. Right. Yeah. I think it's, um, for better. And, and here again, like I personally, like, I think BMI is a helpful tool. I think weight is a helpful tool, but it has to be utilized with other other measurement tools you know what I mean like don't only go off I I see BMI used daily <laughs> at the hospital so people say who it's not useful it absolutely is like anesthesiologists use that as a guiding measure if someone's going to have surgery where I work or not um among other things but um it's important to look at other other pictures right other other measurement tools um but I think if people could take a break from only looking at the scale, right. And look at other predictors for health and wellness that maybe they're not used to looking at, um, such as hormone levels, such as energy, brain fog, um, sleep quality, like all these things that you ask your clients about too. Um, they would maybe stress, right? Like there's, we all know like a calorie deficit is a form of stress. And so if your body is telling you that you're already in stress, then you got no business adding to that stress bucket because other symptoms are, you're going to have more health issues. Right. Um, and so that's just something that we're not conditioned to look at. Right. The average person isn't going to look at that. They're just going to gauge their, the quality of their life off of what the scale says. And that's so sad. <laughs> yeah, it's, sad. it's so sad. <laughs> it's just, um, yeah, that idea that that's the only metric of progress that we're looking at is, yeah. it's just killing people's mentality and it's contributing it a lot to that all or nothing mentality because yeah. oftentimes the weights, you know, they sacrifice their best life or a sustainable, you know, eating pattern and dietary pattern and exercise pattern. And the way you talk to yourselves, right? Like you sacrifice your quality of life to just see this change of the number on the scale. And, you know, that is just that, you know, teeter totter that people get in and they stay in that routine for five or 10 years. And ironically, like you don't get healthier by doing that. Like you going in these no. rinse does not lead to you getting healthier in that weight regain. And the lack of fundamentals that you develop along the way, like those are the biggest indicators of whether or not we're going to be successful with this long-term. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I had a little bit of like a rude awakening with that, with my own self, I had some pretty significant health issues about like just weird things, right. Happening, um, like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And it started with like, I'm a very active person, right? Like I work out regularly. I love to run, but I also, I eat well. I've never had an eating disorder, anything like that. And, um, I worked with a dietitian, all that good stuff, but a year and a half ago, my body was like telling me things were not okay. I had horrible fatigue. My digestion was crap and I hadn't had a cycle and like I came off birth control and then immediately after coming off birth control. So if people don't know when a woman's on birth control, like she's not ovulating. Right. 
And so it can typically take someone six months, nine months to get their cycle back after coming off birth control. Well, about two months after getting off birth control, my father had a massive stroke and I entered this like caregiver um, scenario. Um, If you're familiar with strokes, those first 18 months are really uh, kind of like I was willing, basically, I was willing to sacrifice everything in my life in order to help my father try to rehabilitate. Um, He lost function on the left side of his body. And so, and then it was COVID, right? And so it was like, really, it was, it was honestly the worst time of my life. Like it was, it was a nightmare. Um, But all that to say, duh, hello. Like after a year of doing that, my body, I still wasn't having a cycle. I had horrible symptoms of fatigue. I didn't feel like myself. I was hospitalized for um, like a gut health inflammation. I had people telling me I had a tumor um, that, but came back, everything came back fine, thank God. But what I ended up doing was finding a doctor in line with my, um, my beliefs about like nutrition and wellness and everything. And I ended up doing a reverse diet, right? And I ended up, eating the way I wanted to eat, like an anti-inflammatory. That's my approach to everything. I set boundaries, decreased stress in my life. Right. And I gained weight. I, all those things that like people just like we were talking about, right? Like, Oh, it's only weight. Well, I knew from what my body was telling me, something was not right. And one of the best ways for women who aren't ovulating or they're not having like a cycle is to do a reverse diet, you have to try to increase. And I tried everything except for like, getting my calories up to like 2500 calories. I did everything (laughs) except gain weight for like nine months, because I was like, that can't be it. That's not what I need to do. I need to just do all these other things. And those other things helped, right. But I read, and this is what did it. This is why I changed. I read an article about how women who do not ovulate, they don't have um a release of progesterone right and not and in my in my case i had low estrogen also and um i think there's a big issue with that among young girls today but anyway progesterone if someone's not ovulating they don't release enough progesterone and progesterone is one of the best anti-inflammatory um cardioprotective um bone protective neuroprotective hormones for a woman and i realized what the hell was I doing if I was increasing my risk for stroke, right? Increasing my risk for heart disease, increasing the effect of like someone else having to take care of me and poor health as I'm older, right? After seeing everything that I'd gone, my, my dad go through. And so reading these articles and like just educating myself on like the side effects of not having a cycle, which people like push aside. I was like, who the hell am I to do this to myself? Like, is my pride really that, that, that grand that I'm going to not gain weight in the sake of doing it? So anyway, all that to say, I like had, I'm, I'm healed. Like I'm completely healed. I'm like seven months past not having a cycle. I, and to be, to be completely honest, I like, even before I went on birth control, I was not regularly having a cycle. Like there had to be some like stress issue or some imbalance, whatever, but that right there. And I'm, I just, that's not to point out like, Oh, look how great I am because I'm willing to like gain weight. It's more so to tell people like there's other measures for preventing disease outside of your BMI as much as I think that's a part of it. Right. Like, yes, it should be factored in, but for women, especially and men too, like if you have messed up testosterone levels, like, and that's so prevalent today, like that also is a neuroprotective hormone, right? Like that has repercussions for later in life that people in their twenties to fifties aren't willing to analyze. But all, if you want to pre- prevent Alzheimer's disease as a man in cognitive decline, you need to get your, try to work on testosterone, right? If you are a woman and you want to prevent heart disease and cognitive decline, decrease inflammation, try to regulate your cycle, like get these things in line. So all that to say preventative medicine, preventative health has so many faces that people overlook all the time. So It's everything, right? And there, yeah. there's a lot to unpack there. But one thing that just kind of comes to my mind 
two that I want to point out and just to kind of, you know, <laughs> reconfirm everything that you've just said is like this idea that always getting smaller always equates to better health. And, you know, and that, yeah. that's not necessarily true. And I'm, I'm just thinking about kind of the client population and the load that I have right now. And I would say, you know, half of them, more than half of them maybe come with the intent of like, you know, trying to build more muscle, trying to lose body fat. A lot of them already being somewhat lean though, right? Yeah. And there's this, there's this, okay, yes, we can get you to being leaner and to have more visible abs and to look better naked and to fit in the skinny jeans better, the bathing suit better, right? And to having more confidence X, Y, Z. But one, we have to remember that, you know, the time and energy and, you know, the trade-offs required to get to an even leaner self when you are already starting at somewhat of a lean um, physique to begin with. One, it takes exponentially amount more work for less of a return, <laughs> right? And it just takes longer to get there. Um, but yeah. B, you know, a lot of times people view that them getting leaner is getting healthier. And when in reality, that's taking them honestly further away from health, right? And there's kind of this bell curve where, you know, people maybe fall in the beginning and it's like, hey, I want to get leaner and all these things. But what happens? More calorie deficit, more life stress, yeah. right? Like more food or sorry, less food freedom and in, in less fluid flexibility, which leads yeah. to more stress, right? Yeah. You talked about your hormones and, you know, your reproduction hormones in particular, right? Like those are accessory hormones and those are not going to be prioritized unless you're getting an adequate amount of energy. And we can see the cascade of reactions that can happen when your testosterone is super low or when your progesterone is non-existent, you know, and you're not ovulating, you're not having mm -hmm. your cycle and all of those things. I think we just, we brush off because we see this physique or these things that we want to achieve. And we think that that's what we want. Right. But sometimes right. it takes for yourself, like you said, going to that place of extreme or going to a place where realizing, Hey, this juice is not worth the squeeze, or this is not my best life to come back <laughs> to a place where it's like, Hey, this is, this is actually better. Me at 10, 15, 20 pounds heavier, maybe with a little bit more fat, maybe with a little bit more muscle, yeah. more life flexibility with more understanding and appreciation for what food does for you in the long run, instead of just the short run. Like Absolutely. sometimes it takes working with a coach to get there to realize that. Cause I, again, you know, you and I, we're not here to say you can or can't do that. Right. Correct. Um, but a lot of times it's like people come to coaches or coaches are there to help you assess the trade-offs and the pros and the cons of doing whatever decision that it is that you want to make. And a lot yeah. of times, Nutrition is obviously the biggest thing is people want to be better. They want to be more perfect or do more, you know, dialed in with their nutrition. When in reality, sometimes they need the opposite. Maybe they need to yeah. be more flexible or they need to appreciate how nutrition plays into all these other things. And that's when you can start to really get a grasp for, you know, how is this affecting me 10, 20, 30 years from now, instead of what is this going to do for me in the next six months? And how can I look coming into next spring? Kind of thing, you know, it's insane. It like, honestly, too, the research on Alzheimer's disease. Well, okay. You don't even have to look at the research. Just think about it. Okay. Think about people who develop Alzheimer's disease, people who have a stroke, like my father, people who end up having heart disease, whatever. It is not the result of what they did a month prior to that it is not a result of what they did one year prior to that it is the repeated habits in their 20s to 50s leading up to when that disease shows up and that is why taking action today is like <laughs> honestly one of the most selfless things that you can do because it's not even about you it's about those people in your life who have to take care of you it's about those people who have to worry about your state when you're not physically or mentally able to. And that's, I think that's just something that it's like, I hate that. I hate that. I think about that because I was a nurse and because I watched what my dad went through, you know what I mean? Like, I think it should be just be something that we naturally think about, but even without my dad, right? Like everyone has grandparents or family members who were older than them and you watch them. Right. And I was talking to someone about this the other day. I was like, do you think your grandparents, when they're sitting there watching you, are like, man, I really wish I would have lost those 10 pounds when I was 30. You know what I mean? I doubt it. I bet they're like, man, I wish I would have enjoyed myself more or been more active or really enjoyed the process, right, of living my life and all those types of things. So very superficial, but at the end of the day people focus on weight loss. 
Yeah, totally. And, you know, for me, a lot of, I use a lot of guiding questions to ask my clients when yeah. trying to make certain decisions and appreciating the pros and cons or whatever decisions that we do end up making. And one of those guiding questions is like, you know, what would 90 year old you say about this? Yes. I love that. Now, right. Another one that people can resonate with mom, family member, people like that is like, you know, what would you want your kids or what would you want for your kids in this situation? Mm, right. That's so good. Even, yeah. Even, um, you know, you and I were friends, like, what would you tell your best friend if they were in a similar position as you? And, and a lot of times just removing yourself from the situation that you're in and looking at it from a different perspective, you'll realize sometimes that one, we're overthinking things. And two, you know, it's, <laughs> it's very easy to get caught up in the short term or the things that we think we want. And, really appreciate how that fits into our lifespan. And I think that's yeah. something that goes missing a lot. And again, it's, you don't have to have a coach for, for you to realize that, right? Like it, yeah. it's, it's just comes down to thinking, how can this, the decisions I make today, how can they affect my next six months and next yeah. year in 10 years? Because nutrition and fitness, it could be a double-edged sword, right? Like some people can abuse it and get to the point where, you know, they have some of these complications, more inflammation, more, you know, stress, yeah. more, you know, things that are kind of a detriment to their health. And then you could also use nutrition and fitness to improve the quality of life, right. To be more mobile as you get older, to impre improve your, you know, risk outcomes later on in life, your ability to come back from a hip fracture when you're 78 years old, mm -hmm. right? like having more muscle, like what are the foundations and the principles that we're doing right now? That's going to lead to long lasting change, right. In the near future, but to also be there to help us when we are more vulnerable and we are older and that inevitably hits us in the face. So true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, there's a, a few different directions. I kind of want to go. I want to talk about your dad and your experience being a caregiver. And we can kind of, we can talk about that because I do think that's I do think that that's something that maybe if you haven't gone through it yet, it's likely going to be a time in your life where you do go through something like that, where you're taking care of someone or something else, right? Like giving your time and attention away from yourself temporarily to support or do whatever it you know needs to be done to take care of somebody else. And might as well just go into it right now that we're talking about it. But you, know, you went through a very traumatic experience. COVID was happening, being in a nurse, like being, you know, the start of your uh, wellness and bloom, doing nutrition coaching, there's a lot of things going on. And then this life event happens where it's like, Hey, nothing else is really that important right now, but this thing that I'm taking care of and that being your dad. And tell me about just the mindset shift. And we can talk about how that impacted your health. Cause it sounds like that led to a cascade of, of reactions after that, right. That stress, yeah. that trauma that you were dealing with in the moment. Um, we can talk about maybe how we can make that process better because in reality, like this is not a discussion about what's optimal and how we can maximize your health or whatever. It's like, how can we make the best of whatever situation that's in front of us? Mm -hmm. um, but tell me about how that impacted your health, your fitness, um, your career, just your stress. I think that's all evident, but tell us about mindset stuff and, and you looking back now, you laughed about it earlier, but looking back about how that was worst time of your life, like how do you felt you handled it and what advice and just things that we could give to people to kind of work through that on their own, whether they're going through that through that now, or we prepare for that in the future. And that's a very yeah. loaded question, but just tell me some thoughts and things that come to mind, you know, yeah. your life changed at that moment. I think, um, I had never heard of anyone going through what I went through when I was going through it except for a coworker. And um, that was one of the most helpful things to have someone to talk to. Um, that being said, she was 20 years older than me. I, I just had never heard of someone my age going through that too. Um, that being said, I am, I fully believe that the only purpose for suffering is to help someone else. And so if anyone is going through something like this, I would love to talk to them about it because I wish that I had more people to talk to about it. It was one of the most, and I, and I have siblings, right? It wasn't, it's, it wasn't all on my shoulders. It was my mom, my siblings. Um, it, it is one of the most isolating and it, it was traumatic. And my dad went through it too, right? Like I wasn't the one who had the stroke. So there's him like watching him suffer. But um, I would say, I wish that I, I don't have any regrets around, of, 
about how I handled it. I was in a state of flight or fight for over 18 months. And you cannot maintain that. So after 18 months, my body said, hell no. <laughs> um, and, and I was, I think that we are, um, the reason our society values youth, right? Is because we love mastering things. We love mastering things, like being the best at everything. And that's why our society like shoves elderly people into the nursing homes because like they're done mastering things. We don't, we don't technically honor elderly people. We don't look at them like other cultures do. And it's because we view aging as like a sign of like less mastery. All that to say, like I was trying to master, like I wanted to master my full-time nursing career. I wanted to master my father's health. I wanted to um, tell God like, hell no, he wasn't going to like take my dad away. My dad was going to walk again and be the same person, but um, it was not meant to be. And so um, all that to say that was, I did the best that I could. And I think it's, it might be helpful for people to hear that that's life. Like there will come a point in everybody's life where you are literally just trying to survive. And that isn't, that's not weird. That's called life. <laughs> and it will look different for everybody, but I, I had never gone through that dense of a grief process however I have come out of it so if you're in it right now I want you to know like it doesn't need to be it's not going to be like that forever but the only reason I came out of it is because I stood up and fought for myself um that being said it's like uh you know it was it was hard it was it was heavy and hard um I, I was telling you about this book that I found extremely helpful that I read uh, maybe six months ago, and it's called Lost Trauma and Resilience, and it's by um, Dr. Pauline Boss, and it was one of the most, like, um, I felt so acknowledged when I read that book, because I couldn't understand why I couldn't move on. You know what I mean? Like, I would tell myself I'm a pretty positive person, or I am a positive person, and I always try to see the good in things. And I would tell myself, like, come on, Priscilla, get your life together. Why are you so sad? Like, at least your dad survived. So many people have a stroke and they die. So many people have a stroke and, like, they can't communicate or they have to have a trach or something like that. My father can eat. My father can talk. I still get to go sit with him. And then I, and then, in the caregiver aspect, like I think people, I was feeling a lot of guilt. Like, why do I feel so Why am I so frustrated spending this much time with my father? Like it should be a gift that I get to, right? Um, despite what I'm doing when I'm there. And she describes something that I think is a really big problem facing people our age, right? Like who, um, baby boomers, children, right? Like there's a huge amount of people about to enter or are entering 70 to 90 years old. Um, with potential health decline. And that is this ambiguous loss. And hearing that kind of transformed me. And she talks about how people who go through ambiguous loss, which is where you watch someone basically change and go there, it's a loss, but they're not dead. And the reason this ambiguous loss is so much harder not harder. No, it's not harder. It's different. It's a different type of grief, you know, is because there's no ceremony and timeline. If someone dies, we have a funeral, we mourn their loss. It's normal. It's normal to grieve. And then you can move on and then you turn a new chapter, spring comes, all these things move on. Um, but she was like, you are repeatedly bearing this burden of grief. And that's where I am. That's what happens. Um, Today is much better because I have more support. We've we've implemented measures. I've created boundaries, um, all these other things. But there's a huge there's a huge responsibility on my end. Um, my dad is usually in the hospital or has been every six months. His medical everything is like it's a constant daily thing, right? And um, realizing that I'm not weak because I can't move on, <laughs> or having this like toxic positivity being like oh well I'm I still get to see him all the time so I should be just be happy um it was very it, it's a that's a big deal and I hope people can see that because whether it's Alzheimer's whether it's a you know like a any other type of disease or 
Um, she talks a lot about people who go missing, same thing, right? There's this ambiguous loss. Um, but the cool thing with that is as with any struggle, there's this insane sense of resilience that is a result. So people who go through this ambiguous loss, yes, it's different than a normal death and like a normal grieving process. But as a result, they are so freaking resilient. And I would never wish this on my worst enemy, but you better believe that like, because of what I've gone through the last two years, I am a force to be reckoned with. And I was before, but I know that I am today because like sometimes even talking to you about it, it's really, it's not hard because of the emotional aspect, like sure that's there, but it is, it is crazy to me that I am still sitting here, you know what I mean? And so it's just, um, it's cool to go through a challenge and then realize like, holy cow, I can do that, you know? Okay. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, it, Thank you for sharing that because it's difficult to talk about that, right? Especially like out in the open and public and to relive that. It's, I could tell it just brings up so many memories and traumas and, and things that you're still working through, right? Because it's, it's not like, yeah. like you said, this one time thing where it's like you bear this burden of grief and then all of a sudden it's gone the next day, right? Like that's just right. something that you carry with you, you know? But you talked about resiliency and I, I've seen that in you for sure. But that, trying to relate that to areas of your nutrition, areas of your career, yeah. your relationships, like, like this is a very extreme of example of developing resiliency, right? But yeah. people can, can do that through all these other experiences. And, and that's a lot of times what I want us to remember. It's like, it's not the outcome that we get to, that is the benefit yes. where we feel good. It's, it's more about the traits and the identity change that happens along the way through a lot of these traumatic experiences and, and trauma to you, Priscilla is different to me and to somebody else, yes. like to somebody else losing their dog that they had forever. That was their best yes. friend. Like that elicits some of those same responses and traumas, right? It could mm -hmm. be, you know, you losing a loved one or, or like your father dealing with somebody mm -hmm. who had a stroke or even mourning the loss of a friendship because somebody moved away. It's like, there's yes. maybe the tears are a little bit different, but the responses and emotions are all very similar to one another. Right. And being able to like deal with that, it's, it's a very difficult thing. And you, I wrote down a few notes here when you were talking. Um, but one thing you were talking about how it's very isolating, you know, and I, I, yeah. I agree, you know, and it's, it's tough because you get to this spot where you're going through this thing. Nobody else really knows how to relate to you. Cause maybe they haven't, they haven't gone mm -hmm. through that experience. And it's this awkward thing where, you know, people wish the best for you and they want to help, but they don't know how. And it's just this, like, it's this little area where it's like, fuck, I don't know what to do or how to help this person. And unfortunately, a lot of times the people going through that, they, they kind of develop their own system or priorities or appreciation for what they need and what they want in that time. And that might look different as, you know, that thing that's happening, you know, continues to carry on, but, you know, people just being there for emotional support saying, Hey, I'm here for you. I'm thinking of you. Like, those are the things that matter. Cause a lot of times I just, it's very easy, like you said, to isolate yourself and to think that you're yeah. doing this alone and to not let other people in and to not let people talk about, you know, how they want to help you in some of those things. And it's this very weird time where it's like, you don't know how to help yourself and people don't know how to help you. So it's just like this yeah. shit show, you know what I mean? And I, um, you know, I, I, I resonate a lot because some of the people who know uh, me, but my dad passed away from ALS. It was a very, very short death. You know, he was at a time where he retired. And then that year, that summer he retired, he started slowing down. We didn't know what the hell was happening you know, a couple of months later, got the ALS diagnosis a year later, he was, he was done. And it was just, it was a very, man, that was a very long year, especially for my mom, seeing everybody who was involved in that process. But mm -hmm. even me, not even being the primary caregiver, it took a lot out of me. And like you said, you're in that fight or flight state, um, constantly being this in the sympathetic state where your yeah. cortisol is through the roof, right. And you're not resting very well. You're not digesting. You're not getting enough sleep. You're not taking care of yourself. Like it's okay going through some of those phases because a yeah. lot of times they might be temporary if you allow them to be, but we have to remember that 
sometimes these sacrifices and giving your all your attention on one thing is the thing that you need to do the most to make sure everything else kind of stays afloat sometimes. Cause yes. like you said, there's nothing worse than feeling like you have to excel and progress in your career and maybe in your relationships and trying to spend time or to care for the loved ones that you're trying to, to care with. Right. And, and trying to take care of your nutrition and your own mental health and your own physical fitness. It's like, you can't do everything at once. And I no. see a lot of people trying to do that when it comes to changing their health and reaching this health transformation. It's like, well, I'm going from zero right now and I'm, I'm going to try to go to a hundred and burnout happens so quickly after that, you know? So it, it kind of brings up this principle. It's like, can we focus on one or two things at a time? And it doesn't have to be at this, you know, huge macro level of like all these social, <laughs> financial, you know, spiritual yeah, health, all these pillars of our life, everything's falling apart at once. You know, it doesn't have to be at that big of a caliber kind of thing. It, it could also be, you know, you trying to implement more protein at every meal and trying to get an yeah. apple in with breakfast, you know, like doing some small steps because over time, those are the things that add up and you start to kind of develop this routine around some of these things that you're starting to prioritize a little bit differently, you know, and I don't know. There's a lot of different directions that we could go there, but it goes back to this idea that we always beat ourselves up because we think we should know what to do all the time. in a lot of these situations that happen when in reality, we're all learning and we're all doing the best that we can. And it's all feedback, right? It is it's all yeah. feedback. And I will say two of the things that I did during that time was delegate. I had a nutritional coach for the first year after my dad's stroke, I had worked with Tony for a year and then my dad had a stroke and you know Tony was like you need to take a break do whatever I actually did not want to because in that time of so much uncertainty having someone guide me and like provide me with certainty for my nutrition was extremely relieving like took a load off and then here again I'm about to delegate that to someone else just because like i like if you can't like in those things, I guess maybe I wish I would have delegated more. And that's something I learned through that process was like delegating things in my life that are so important to my well-being, mental well-being, physical well-being, um, because you can we 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 think we can handle everything, even if you're super resilient. But resilience doesn't mean that like you're Superman or Superwoman, right? It just means that like you're tough and you can handle stress. But it doesn't mean that like your stress bucket is now like a pool, you know? And so delegating my nutrition was one of, and even like personal training, right? Like having someone provide me with workouts is one of the most stress relieving things ever, right? Like having a plan eliminates so much stress. Oh, it's so much stress. And so, um, that's like, that was a, that was a good, um, lesson learned there too. It's like, even, you know, you hear this all the time. People come to you and they're like, I know what to do, but mm -hmm. like, yeah, of course, most people know what to do, but we just need either that accountability, we need a plan or whatever. And so, especially in super stressful times, I think people think that's a waste of money or like, what's, what good will that do for me? Actually, in really stressful times, you probably need it more. You need to make sure you're not under eating, you're not overworking out. Um, you need someone to take that off your plate for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just getting to the realization that like, you don't have to do all this shit on your own either. Oh. You, know? and you don't have to feel like you're the master and learn all of these traits and to go through all the things to feel like you're competent in doing what you're doing. Cause that's what yeah. other people are here for, you know? And it's uh, this idea of just always trying to figure everything out on your own. Like ironically, that's how you never figure anything out because you're constantly trying all these things that aren't even productive. And you know, a lot of times when it comes to a, having a coach or nutrition, like you said, you worked with a mentor and you worked with a nutrition coach of your own, right? Like maybe it's a therapist, maybe it's a right. nurse practitioner, or, you know, you're um, seeing a nutritionist or a dietitian, or you're going to the gym or getting your workout sent to you. It's like, you know, offloading some of that responsibility from yourself onto other people. So you can do you can implement and do the things that you know you quote unquote need to do instead of trying to come up with those things and then implement on that. Sometimes that's all it takes for people to actually realize like, Hey, I don't need to know everything and to do everything at the same time because it's, yeah. again, it's a lot of burden. Um, and, and you said boundaries, the word boundaries. I just think that that's something that 
we're not taught or nobody talks about it. And like being able to like say no to things and to ask for help when you need it. Like those are just characteristics that we learn secondhand or going through something that we wish we would have done earlier where a coach's job, again, it's not again, to tell you what to do. It's sometimes to like tell you where to look and to help you come up with the plan on paper that, you know, you can execute the best, right? Forget about what's optimal at this point. Like what are the things that we can do and stick to that are realistic for your life? Because you dealing with your dad who had a stroke and doing that for a couple of years, your workouts, your nutrition, your sleep, your stress management, your work schedule is way fucking different than what it is maybe right now or what it was exactly. two years ago or three years ago. And we have to appreciate that there's different seasons of our life, but not to just punt our health, health and fitness in these times where we're super stressed out because ironically dialing in some of those things that you can control enhances the output and oh the energy and, and what you're able to give to whatever it is that you're trying to give your attention to at the time. And it doesn't have to be caring for somebody who is sick or struggling, right? It, it could be a lot of other different things, but yeah. Like interacting with other people in general, like you're a better person when those things are taken care of that. That's that. Um, my friend who had gone through something similar, she was like, you need to change something and you need to make sure that your mom changes something because of this caregiver syndrome. And even as a nurse, I'd never really heard about it, but she had seen it in her parents' life. And then the more research you do, it's where the caregivers actually literally pass away before the person who's ill because they're literally making them themselves sick, making sure that the person who's ill is taken care of and no one notices that. And in these caregivers like give 120%, don't make time for their own nutrition, but make sure the other person's fed. Don't make sure they're working out, but make sure the other person gets PTOT. Don't do, don't make sure they have a social life, but give all their energy to make sure the other person's happy. It is so real <laughs> and like a future um, health crisis in my opinion. Um, but that's another aspect too that there again that's why I delegate these things because I know I'm so prone to that as someone who is a natural caregiver like whether it was my dad or not like I'm more likely to it just is I'm more likely to do things for other people than myself and then as a result they end up suffering because I'm not doing anything for myself <laughs> a lot of times that happens to a fault you know and, and yeah kind of pivoting here you know just uh, keeping that topic, right? Like I see that a lot with nurses in general as well. And yeah. kind of pivoting this conversation more towards the people who dedicate their lives and their careers to like helping other people, you know, again, there's extremes, right? But it can be very difficult to prioritize yourself to, mm -hmm. eat, right? To, because mm -hmm. you're so busy and there's always stuff going on and you're working swing shift or night shift or your, your routine and your schedule is always different every single week. And it's like, I see this a lot with nurses and we doesn't have to be nurses, right? It could be teachers, you know, yeah. the big classroom, it could be construction workers, like not yes. having that time to go back to the office or whatever it is like, just not strictly to nurses, but I see this in nurses a lot. And I have a lot of nursing friends. I had, I've had a lot of nursing clients, some still to this day. And what we do with them is different from person to person, but I want to talk about nursing as a whole and, and how we can continue to prioritize and take care of yourself. Cause it's, it's cliche and everyone hears it, but you can't, you know, pour other, pour stuff into other people's cups. If you don't have anything to pour, you know, or you can't take care of other people when you can't That's take care real. of yourself. And it's so real. Tell me about your experience with nursing. And, and was there a time where you got into nursing where it was like, Hey, I just need to continue learning and do all these things and taking all the shifts and exposing myself to different floors and opportunities. And, and was there a time where like an aha moment where it's like, Hey, you know, I, this doesn't work if I don't take care of myself or maybe with clients you work with, like just what comes to mind when it comes to nursing and taking care of yourself? Because there's a spectrum of people who, who can do that, you know? Uh, yeah, I, so I, my nursing career started out in the wall baby nursery on night shift. It was so great. And then I did that for a year and then I went into the neonatal ICU and I did that for about five years and I stayed PRN at the hospital where I was, but I did travel nursing. This was all before COVID for like two years. And I will never forget. I was at, um, I was in a hospital in Nashville on a PEDS unit, the pediatric and neonatal and the uh, unit secretary could barely walk. Her knees were so bad, so bad. And she's sitting there working a 12 hour shift. It's not easy, right? Like she's the unit secretary doing all this stuff. And her hands were literally like horrible, like so naughty, all this stuff. And I remember at the end of the shift, 
I'm hurting because I've been walking all this stuff, moving like, you know, peds is like infants all the way up to 18 year olds, right? So like you're doing all this stuff, it's emotionally taxing. And she sits down and I didn't know this about her. I'd been working with her for like six months and she was like, you don't change something. You'll turn out to be just like me. And I was like, what? And she was like, I was a nurse for 35 years and now I can't walk and I'm waiting to get a hip. And I will never forget that. I was already really into health and fitness then anyway, but it was a very like real example of what sacrificing you think it is. Like what do you think? you're actually benefiting from sacrificing is actually not sacrificing. And after I did travel nursing for a little bit, I got super like sad the last place I went and I was like, why am I doing this? I love Houston and I have friends and family here. Um, I came home and I think, and I was like, there's something I hate about my life. And it was 12 hour shifts. I realized 12 hour shifts were not conducive to a healthy life for me. So I changed it. I went into outpatient surgery setting and I worked Monday through Friday eight hour, mostly eight hour shifts. And ever since then, I have had a zero tolerance for things that I know are not in myself and my best interest, especially after what happened to my dad. Like I am so freaking on my blood sugar. <laughs> like I don't even have diabetes or whatever. I want to have blood sugar balance. I want to decrease inflammation. And so you better believe I don't care. I'm going to go take a lunch break. Like and watching these nurses like tell me they haven't urinated for 10 hours and then they keep on getting UTIs or thinking that like during COVID my unit shut down and I was working the COVID unit and you work with these like SICU nurses and normally like it's like two patients per nurse max COVID they were working with like four patients to one nurse and then like one helper and we think that like when you're in this like you have to do more and more and more and more and more to show you're tough and like take one for the team, take one for the team. That's such like a nursing mentality because if you don't do it, someone else is going to have to do it. Right. But what ends up happening is the quality of care to the, to the patients is crap. It is not great. I'm such a better nurse after I eat lunch than I am like eating lunch and having really low blood sugar and all that kind of stuff. Like that's such a poor example, but same thing with like nurses who work 12 shifts. I don't know how they do it because it's really hard to work out on those days, right? Like it's really hard to balance on those days. And so, um, and also, (laughs) you know, maybe it's a little controversial, but like the healthcare system, and I'm sorry, it doesn't matter if there's a pandemic going on, what's right is still right. (laughs) And if you are being told to take care of like four patients, like tell them to F themselves and go take care of yourself. You know, like I was appalled at what I saw during COVID and it is sad because people, nurses specifically, like they saw a need and so they jumped in, right? That's what they do. That's what we do. You, you, you can help, right? You're like the ultimate helper and you know that like, if you don't do it, someone else will have to. And so in the name of doing that, they took on, we took on too much. And now I think a lot of nurses are burned out as a result. A lot of people are leaving the health like hospital setting as a result. Um, And it just is, um, it's not sustainable. And same thing with like not taking a lunch break, you know, all these things. It it is, it is, it's, it's like, it's a sign. It's like a badge of honor, right. For nurses in the hospital to be like, Oh, I haven't eaten lunch. Like, and it's three o'clock or, Oh, I didn't get a lunch break today. Or, Oh, I haven't peed in 10 hours. Like that. Once I quit, like came back from travel nursing, I was like, that's a joke. Like, (laughs) if you're telling me that to impress me, then you're not because that's really sad. You know, it just is not. And it's the suffering mentality. People think like suffering is the path to like showing how much you're willing to give. But it ain't that way. It ain't ain't right. (laughs) Totally. And I. Again, it's very admirable for the people who do do that, you know, and, and, yes, and, it, and, is. and it's so it is. And it's, it's almost like you're in a place now where you can look back and having gone through all of those things that you just listed and having that appreciation and being like, no, nah, go F yourself because this is, mm-hmm. this is the badge of honor that I've earned to be able to say that. Like there's a mentality in most careers where it's like, yeah, we just got to put in our dues for the first year or two or 10, you know? And it's like, yeah man, at what extent is your mental health, is your physical health, is your nutritional health, like 
at the end of the day, it's, it's like you're sacrificing that badge of honor and doing all these things for something else. Like that doesn't come free, you know? So a lot of times there's this, there's this like cognitive, like dissonance almost where it's like, Hey, I want these things. I want to look better. I want to lose weight. I want to have a healthy, you know, um, blood sugar balance. I want to have, you know, better lipid panel. I want to look better naked. I want to feel good. I want to have enough energy and cool. It's like, everybody wants that. And then I get, you know, some of these people where it's like, well, I can't do that because X, Y, and Z and all these things. Yeah. It's like, well, if you wanted all of these things, if we were to talk about what optimal, like that might look like you going and getting a new job if we're talking yeah, in all reality, absolutely. but that's not, that's not, that's not what we're able to do with most people. So it's like Correct. approaching this with this, Hey, let's make the best of it mentality. I think we've already talked about that before because what is optimal is not going to be optimal for this setting, you know? And it's yeah. like, there's, there's a capacity to how much we could do and how much we could work with uh, depending on your work schedule and your, uh, your willingness to set boundaries in the workplace, right. Or willingness to like do X, Y, and Z. So I think we have to remember, we have to, we have to manage expectations. And I think that's a coach's job to a certain extent of like, Hey, you want this, this is what it's going to require. Is that even possible for you? And if not, let's stop fucking thinking about it and let's start to do what we can do to make this even better. You know? And again, I, I've worked with the people with night shifts and, you know, three twelves or four twelves, God forbid. And it's like, oh yeah. Okay. Well you don't eat for eight to 10 hours at least. And you do X, Y, and Z and you're working all the time. Well, it's like, and not to, you know, not to question these things. I do believe in it. We, they do work really hard nurses and everybody, but it's like, well, is that the truth or is there a two minute break that you could go to the bathroom or the room, you know, the break room and there's shame in taking care of yourself. Yeah. Is can we go slam a protein shake and drink that really quick and go to the bathroom and then come back and work, you know, the next however many hours, like, can we going to your shift or can we prep a meal? So instead of you getting home ravenous and eating everything in sight, can you have a pre-made meal that you can heat up on your way out the door so you can eat on the way home? Right. Like, like what are some of these small things that we could do to like help, you know, make this a little bit better. And a lot of times there's just this, like, you know, sense of like, I give up and like, I'm a, I can't control my environment. So I'm not going to even try with some of these things. And I don't want to sound like I'm this just like fucking do it kind of guy mentality, but it's like, let's be honest with ourselves. Cause sometimes we lie to ourselves in some of these situations where it's like, okay, you don't have anything for 12 hours. Maybe that's the case one day, but is it like that every time, you know, and just coming up with this mentality of like, well, you know, does what I want match up with what I can physically do and what I am willing to do because there's a disconnect and, and, you know, that's the stuff that we have to address before we start talking about practical action items to act upon. You know what I mean? Some people have to be the, cause when it is hard, when you're, when the culture of the unit you're on is not taking a break so like some hospital systems require i think it's like hca like you have to clock out for a 30 minute lunch they require it some other hospital systems don't but it's really hard when the culture like the charge nurse or the other nurses you work with like go all 12 hour shifts 10 hour shift whatever eight hour shifts and don't take a break you have to literally be that person to change that culture if you want it to change and that's one thing that i've done on multiple units that i've worked at i've worked at many different hospitals and i I just don't care what people think about me. Like, because I know what they're trying to achieve. I'm actually going to achieve even better by taking a freaking, even if it's 10 minutes, I've done that before. I'm like, I'm going for a break and here's my phone or do whatever. And that 10 minute break, I'm a better nurse when I come back, even if they never, because it's, it's this like suffering mentality. People, people like to suffer, but, or they don't want to stand up and be the odd one out. Right. But I guarantee you possible. Usually 90% of the time, there's a time, there's a way to make it work. I'm just curious. And this is just kind of me asking you, but is there, have you noticed, you know, in the past, maybe you didn't bring a lunch or you didn't bring these things or, you know, whatever it was, you would get something at the cafe or whatever it might be like, has there been a evolution of like how you eat and how you feel and how you approach that day and how you plan around what, you know, you're going to need to do for the day. And, and like, just thinking about some practical tips that we can give to nurses who are kind of up in arms, like, I I don't know what to do. And we also have to be honest too, like the environment that you work in as a nurse is a very high temptation job, right? Like Mm -hmm. your patients and the patient's families, they're not bringing you a fucking veggie tray or a fruit bowl, right? Like 
they're bringing in the donuts and all the, the cookies and it's the holiday season, right? Like candy and all these things, you know, the food environment around some of those nursing stations, I've been in the ICU, I've been at the, you know, different floors, the telly floor or whatever it is. And it's like, damn, this is what we got stocked in our fridges, huh? This is what's available on the table, you know? And it's like, it's, it's a very high temptation job. And it's like, you know, what are ways around that? And what have you found has worked for you that maybe you've worked with clients or you've noticed it's made the biggest difference in terms of making more conscious and health conscious, you know, nutrition choices when you're working and things like that. Yeah, that's a great point because it's, um, it's an LOL. It's like a meme every day. If you go into the break room in a hospital setting, are you kidding me? Like it literally is a meme management. Sorry, you're short staff today. Here's crumble cookies and dominoes, like enjoy. And then it's like diabetes, right? <laughs> Seems like a meme, not real. Yeah. But for me, one thing that's helped is not caring what people think. I think if you're a nurse, whatever your profession going into knowing that like making choices that promote your well-being are going to be outside of the norm, whether that's taking a lunch break, whether it's packing your food, not eating what's in the break room, um, you're going to be the odd one out. People are going to comment on your food. I have packed my lunch 99% of the years that I've been a nurse because I value how I feel. I hate feeling like crap. And for that purpose, I feel like crap when I haven't eaten all day and then I go into the break room and there's cupcakes and I end up eating three cupcakes because my, my body's so hungry and I can't say no. That makes me feel like crap. So what sucks worse for you? Staying up a little bit later and meal prepping for the next day or not having lunch the next day and eating three cupcakes in the break room because you know it's going to be there. Um, the other thing that I learned is to pack more food than I think I'm going to need because without a doubt, if you are packing nutrient dense food, the volume you need is going to be more, right? So like you can just eat more volume and it's be real with yourself. Like if you were to stay home for 12 hours and eat throughout the day, you're not going to eat one little cubby of food, right? Like that's 12 hours. You're going to eat breakfast, lunch, and probably dinner. And so not to say you're going to get that break at home at work, but pack more freaking food. Like it always made me laugh when people came in with like a little ticket, a little carrier. And I always packed like two snacks and a really good lunch. Um, and then hydration, it sucks. Cause like a lot of times you have to keep it to the back end, but that is no joke. That's no joke. You're going to be so much more equipped and I'm big on minerals. So like, I like putting you know, nurses are really big into those oversized water jugs. Well, you might be doing more harm than good. If you're doing that, I would put some coconut water and some um, sodium or like sea salt in your water if you can. But hydration is so important and sacrificing that in the name of whatever is not good. Um, and then the other thing would just be to, to tell people that like, there's nothing new. There's literally nothing new. So if your manager normally brings sweets, you better count on it being there. Like it's up to you to adapt, right? And healthcare is always going to be short staffed. And so it's always going to be hard to advocate for yourself. So learning to, to not care what people think is probably the best place to start. <laughs> I, I think that's so important, right? Because a lot of times it starts with your mentality and the intent in which you're doing things, you know, and yeah. some of those commitments that you're making to yourself, because it could be very easy in that high temptation environment or when that's the norm is just, you know, eating all the things or not eating anything or yes. not taking any breaks and, and X, Y, and Z, right. It's like having this mindset of like, you know, this is the baseline that I function best in. And every time I get yeah. below that baseline, I'm not the nurse that I'm capable of being or insert whatever professional you're trying to Correct. be. Right. Or, you know, that when you're below that, you're not going to make the most, you know, appropriate nutrition choices. You're not going to feel yes. the best. You're going to have more stress. You're going to be more likely to binge eat when you get home. So it's like what are things to combat that, but it becomes part of it is just becoming aware of that in the first place. And I think some people don't even realize that that's what's happening to them because one we've accepted as a society, this baseline of just feeling like shit all the time. And, you know, two, it's like, well, it's still kind of working for me right now and I can get by. So what needs to change kind of thing, but sometimes it takes getting to a better place to, 
a place where you're having more energy throughout the course of the day, or you're able to sleep better at night, or you're making more, you know, informed and confident decisions because you're not super chronically fatigued at work all the time. Sometimes it takes getting to a place where you're there to appreciate feeling good again, you know, and Mm -hmm. and it's really just about just maximizing the things that you can control, you know? So I I really love that. And I think the practical things come after that mindset and changing your outlook on some of those things. So I, um, and the other thing I wanted to say is like, you know, everything is hard, right? Like we could wish that this shit was easier. Really. We could wish that we had more time, That's a good point. the ability to do these things, but we also have to remember that like not choosing to do that, like it's hard living with the consequences or the decisions that we make on the other hand of those things with not eating, with not having enough water, with not feeling super confident and competent in our work, with always feeling tired, with always, you know, having terrible digestion and always feeling like a bag of shit. It's like, that's fucking hard too, you know? So it's like, do you want to choose the other hard where we're spending more time focusing on nutrition, more meal prep, more packing snacks, more getting some of these high protein options, spending maybe a little bit more money on some of these things to feel better? Yep. Or is it, do we want to do the other thing? Because both of the, those decisions are hard, you know, and it's, this isn't like a shame kind of that I'm on right here, but it's just, it's realizing that the actions that you're taking right now, even though you don't really feel a difference, or maybe that's just the reality that you have accepted. That's, you know, that's not conducive to you being your happiest, healthiest self 10 years from now. And you know, that shit's going to work off quick. So don't be that nurse with fucking arthritis. And you can't even like walk because you've been doing the same thing for 35 years. And again, good for her. And, and I'm, I'm very admirable that she put that kind of effort and, and patience into her career, but it's like, you know, unless you don't want that, you know, Mm -hmm. that, and we have to remember that. So, yes. And that's like, so rampant too. Like go find any nurse who's been a nurse for 20 years and ask her how her mental and physical health is. I'm sure there's some, some compromise. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I, um, I don't know. I think I want to be respectful of your time. I think we can kind of end the conversation at that and maybe continue the nurse stuff later on in the future. But I, I, I'm happy with the direction the conversation went towards because it was some practical tips maybe for nursing yeah. things, but it's more about mindset optimization, which is a lot of stuff that we talk about here on this podcast Agreed. and something that you do a really good job in. And a lot of times it's the lack of attention to your mindset and your awareness around some of these things. Like that's the shit that we need to work on more than anything before we start talking about how we can hit 180 grams of protein and over the course of the day. So true. So so true. Remember that, but thank you for coming on. Tell the people everything in the notes, but where they can find you, where they can reach out to you. If they have questions about being a caregiver, being a nurse, nutrition coaching, like everything that you do, you're, you're a good resource for that. Thanks Luke. Um, I'm on Instagram at at wellness.nin.bloom, wellness and bloom. Um, you can also find me on Facebook and my website is wibpriscilla.com. Um, but yeah, feel free to message me on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Um, I love, you know, kind of communicating with people who are in the same thing. I think it can, like we said, kind of be isolating, but you're not alone. Right. I think it's for people good for people to hear that. Amen. Appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Luke. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at Luke Smith RD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.